Welcome to the Speak Pack Podcast, where high-performing speakers and the producers who hire them merge to give you the insider secrets to the lucrative speaking industry. Antonia Rose, your podcast host and celebrated speaker agent, unveils insider success strategies. Discover a nexus of thought leaders and bookers maximizing your potential in each and every episode. Your ticket to ultimate speaking success begins right here. Catch the transformative insights waiting for you on the Speak Packed podcast, hosted by the industry powerhouse herself, Antoniette Rose. Welcome back to Speak Packed, the place where we make a pact to impact with our voices. And today I am super thrilled to have with me a guest who has done just that at a very large scale. I'm gonna welcome, I'm gonna introduce Mary Grothy to you. I'm gonna let you know a little bit about her and we are gonna dive right into some pretty amazing insider insights that she has discovered on her own, sheer will, and it's paid off in a big way. So very happy to dive in with her. Mary is went from Fortune one from Fortune one thousand number one sales rep to a successful three time entrepreneur, and she carried a lot of that not through heavy marketing ad budgets, but through the power of her voice. She's going to share with us some ways that she developed that worked really, really well in doing that. Her keynotes, her blog, her national radio station, um, crafted effortly between her professional and personal worlds. She's going to give us an in-depth look into how she achieved success through the power of her voice and how she overcame the dark side of business, which I'm super excited to learn more about. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about what, when did the light bulb go off that through the power of your voice, you could grow empires? I grew up on the stage since I was three years old. I've been in the performing arts and I've loved that, but I never realized I could use some of those talents that I had and monetize them. When I founded my second business, I was all about sales coaching and sales training. I had a track record as a former number one sales rep, and that was attractive to a lot of small business CEOs in my community when I became a fractional VP of sales, started a consultancy, and one of them said, could you speak to our group at the chamber? We'd love for you to share your insights, your knowledge. And I thought, I can do that. I can stand in front of a room of people and share what I know. Well, the best part is I sit in front of those people in that room and the lady walked up to me after the presentation who was just blown away by the content and said, I think I need to be your client. And I thought, great, I'm completely unprepared for this conversation right now, but I love the idea of that. So we scheduled a discovery meeting. Turns out she was a great fit and ended up being a phenomenal client for me. But the light bulb went off at that moment of, wait, I speak and I get a client? Okay, I can monetize this. I can do this. 
that presentation, someone was sitting in that room who belonged to an association. He reached out to me and said, hey, you were the speaker at the chamber event. I am booking speakers. I volunteer my time. I serve on a committee for an association. I'm booking speakers for our annual sales and marketing conference. And we would love to feature you as the keynote. What's your speaking rate? And do you have a contract we can review? Of course, I'm an entrepreneur. Yes, yes, I have all those things. I'm like, I need to go create all of those things. <laughs> but I built it. I sent it over to him and immediately was selected. And that was one of the highest performing keynotes I had in my career. It was actually one of the early ones that I did. And it was nerve wracking. I remember looking at the size of the audience, I had hundreds of CEOs in the audience. And I thought, even if I got one client from this, I'll be set. Interestingly enough, that conference was in Phoenix. I'm located in Denver. My clients up until that point were only Denver-based clients. And that time speaking in Phoenix, I had a national audience because those CEOs flew in from all over the country. And I won several clients from that one speaking engagement. And overnight, I was a national company. Overnight, I had an immediate hiring need. And that's what started it. And I realized speaking is going to be my highest performing lead source for my consultancy. And it was. Speaking brought in millions of dollars in revenue for me over a five and a half year period before I successfully exited and sold the company. That sounds way more fun than putting millions of dollars out for ads that result in hit or miss, right? Whether or not those clients are correct. But obviously those people in the audience who resonated with your message, mm -hmm. who in a very short span of time trusted you because you came third party verified by the host. Obviously they do all the vetting and they're not going to put you on their stage unless they vouch for you. And you just kind of jump over all kinds of hurdles, especially when you know you're getting in front of the right kind of audience. So I love how organically that happened for you. At the same time, you definitely had to scramble along the way, right? So how did you come up with your keynote talks? Like, did you just figure it out as you went? Did you take some classes? Like, what did you wind up doing to get those signature, that the signature brand that mm -hmm. obviously resonated and the talks that obviously resonate, resonated? I had to do a little bit of research. I was in the sales category as a sales trainer, sales coach, and fractional VP of sales. So I started to research some pretty famous sales authors and looked at their speaker pages or their websites where they would market their keynotes. And I thought, okay, what I'm noticing, there's some trends and some titles. The titles are very much about the problem that was being solved and a way to do that. So I came up with the title, Two Shockingly Simple Secrets to Unlocking High Growth Sales. And that title was very marketable. What I loved about it was that it was simple. Two secrets. People can digest two they can implement two. And it's more than one. It's not the one secret. You know, it's a little bit more inclusive. There's two secrets. Shockingly simple. That phrase allowed my demographic, my ICP, my ideal client was a small business CEO who was struggling to build out a sales department. Most of the clients I wanted to attract were the salesperson for their company. They were thinking about growing sales, potentially hiring somebody, or maybe a few of them had tried and failed. And I was looking for the CEO who wanted the easy button. My team was the easy button. So shockingly simple, 
I believe appealed to that demographic and that ideal client. So my keynote, two shockingly simple secrets to, and then what do they want? What's the payoff? Unlocking high growth sales. Well, they would like to unlock high growth sales inside of their company. And so that became the first signature keynote that I launched with. I also had a second keynote that didn't get booked as often, but it was typically for my audiences that were only business owners or CEOs. I did, I'll explain a little bit more about the audiences in a moment, but the second keynote was how CEOs build high-performing sales teams or sales engine. That was direct to the point. That was to the ICP. That was the CEO wants to know how to build a high-performing sales team. The way I constructed the keynotes psychologically, I wanted them to take action after the keynote. It was my decision to give them open book, my process, my knowledge in a simple enough format that they could digest and understand, but with a layer of complexity that led them to the decision that they were unqualified to do the job and they needed to hire me and my team to do it. For the CEO keynote, I found myself leveraging the CEO keynote in smaller CEO groups. There are groups like Vistage or Convene or C12 or Tab, the alternative board, these peer mastermind CEO groups. There are many of them out there. And I started to get booked as a speaker to these small intimate groups, maybe only 10 to 15, maybe 20 CEOs in a group. Well, that was a small audience. And typically those don't pay very much, maybe a few hundred dollars. Uh I would have paid to be there. That is my ICP. That's my audience. It was a topic and a title that resonated with them. And it created a lot of action in order for me to continue to fill the funnel. I love that you said you would have paid to be there because I, as a speaker agent, constantly hear speakers say, I will only speak if I'm going to be paid. And I say, you're always paid to speak. The difference is, are you going to get paid by the host or are you going to get paid by the audience? I think that that mindset, when you go in, if I'm not going to get a check from the host, I'm not going to speak is a really detrimental one. I mean, you know, to each his own. But honestly, I've always seen that the highest prosperity comes from the audience done right, right? Because people are there because they're looking for answers. If you have those answers, the natural next step for them is to go the next step with you, right? And so that $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 you may have gotten from the host is great. It's wonderful, but it doesn't compare to the 50, 60, 70, thousand and beyond that the lifetime of that client, that one client, right, can be. So a room full of 10 eager people looking for an answer to me is way more powerful than a room full of 500 who had to be there because it was a work conference, right? Much, much different. Will you speak to that a little bit about why? Why would you pay to get on somebody else's stage? Well, I'm going to share the answer to this in two different scenarios. The first is, as a founder CEO of my second company, I had a very high dollar price tag consulting service and consulting slash execution. With that, when I first started this company at the end of 2017, started to do my first keynote was February of 2018, so very quick after starting the company. And then many keynotes ensued and followed my average revenue per sale that first year was about 24000 So any client that I would win from a speaking engagement 
was 24,000. And like clockwork, I was winning at least one client per speaking engagement. It was not important to me to get paid, although I was getting paid. There were a few that I spoke for free and I was fine with it because I never looked at the speaker price tag as the business. The business was my consulting firm. By the time I sold the company, our average client was spending almost half a million dollars per year. And some of the stages I was getting booked on where I was speaking for free were at big user conferences, one of them through HubSpot. I was a HubSpot Diamond partner, my firm was. And as revenue consultants, we were implementing CRMs. Well, as a keynote speaker and a user of HubSpot and a big fan of all things revenue engines, I got booked three years in a row to be a speaker through Inbound. And those stages are massive. I have some of my best video footage and some of my best photos that I have to market myself as a speaker have come from the inbound stages. I did not get paid. And in fact, I paid for my travel <laughs> and all the expenses while I was there. But like clockwork in front of those massive audiences, I've made millions of dollars off of those keynotes and I paid for the expense to be there. But the monetization was in the audience. For me, the discernment is always on, does this help me from a credibility standpoint to book future engagements? So as a budding speaker, having great video footage, showing that you are capable of and have been booked in front of those large audiences goes a long way. But also the notoriety of the name of the conference is helpful. So you can have the logo on the website as seen in, et cetera. But ultimately, I was focused on the monetization. As a founder CEO, I was very busy and I was the sole business development professional for my business. So it was very important that anything I spent my time on was leading to conversion. Now, I'm going to answer this question through a separate lens because I have sold my company. I very happily sit in a full-time chief revenue officer position right now for a payroll company called PNIHCM. That's Payroll Network Inc., human capital management. This is an old client of mine. I was ready for a quiet season and I decided to step into a full-time role. It has been a huge blessing in my life and I love this job. I am not interested in this third company that I have running right now. I am not interested in a big high dollar offer from the stage. I'm actually this time around monetizing the speaking opportunity is through size of audience because I burned myself out and ended up in a very unhealthy mental and emotional state. Hence my book, you mentioned it, right? The surviving the dark side of success, which is, this is my memoir. Forbes published me and it documents my journey of former number one sales rep all the way into founding the first company and then retreating, going back to work, going to the second company to exit, et cetera. But I was so unwell and it was very difficult. The company scaled, it grew, and it became very difficult for me to manage. And then the market and economy shifted and I was too tired and burnt out. I missed a key pivot. So I ended up selling the company. I don't see in my immediate future, and like by immediate future, I mean the next five years, I have zero desire to start another company that has an element like coaching or consulting or courses or anything that is going to be a pull on my time or require me to have employees, which means my ability to monetize my audience needs to be viewed differently. So in this stage of my life, I'm using my platform, one, for book sales. Two, I'm growing my platform, my social media following. 
I have a radio show. I'm growing my listenership there because then I can monetize my audience through ads and sponsors, Mm. which is my plan on that. Third is my husband and I founded a clothing and swag company called Do Remarkable Work. It is a drop ship online e-commerce store. I did the designs for it. It's very transactional. It's e-commerce. It's very transactional. And so I'm planning on driving the traffic and the volume and monetizing my audience through them buying my book, them buying some Do Remarkable swag, a hat, a t-shirt, a tote. And I'm looking to grow the number of followers so then I can sell that audience through advertisements and sponsorship. So it's a very different way to monetize an audience. So this time around, I am a little bit pickier. I'm not going to be speaking for free to small audiences because the dollar price tag of the sale from the stage is $50, not $50,000 or $500,000. So this time around as I'm switching from the revenue, sales, marketing, entrepreneurship category into motivational speaking... It is a different category for me and I'm building the monetization factor differently than I did the first time around. And I think both are fine. They're just different strategies. Okay. You are a wealth of gold. Seriously. A Midas touch too, right? You've done so many different things and they've turned to gold. And I think it has a lot to do with your spirit, has a lot to do with your instincts and obviously your experience. And I love that you showed both sides because you're absolutely right. Different different strokes, right? Different speakers are going to be able to monetize those stages and those opportunities in much different ways. One of the first things that I do with my clients is we create their ecosystem. There is no one-size-fits-all. You definitely have a different approach depending on that ultimate outcome. So what I love, and it it speaks so well to your moniker that I've seen online, uh, fearless faithfulness, is that? Fearless faith. Fearless faith. Fearless fearless faith. You obviously have it. (laughs) You're fearless. And, um, And I love that you were able to step away from something that had is is what a lot of people only aspire to, right? Mm-hmm. Obvious, high-level success. But you put yourself first and you put your family first and you realized that you needed to step step away from that. And I'm sure you know, selling that kind of business was had to have only been profitable. Great. So now you're not going to recreate that m- mansion that you outgrew, right? That empire that just didn't fit you anymore. And now you're creating an empire that does. And I, I really love that you have a renewed clarity on your non-negotiables and that you and your husband are on the same team. And you guys are working towards this, this next level model that's going to suit you in a much better way. And you're going to still use your voice <laughs> to now launch that. So that's the string through it all, right? That's the... That's the the through line is you can utilize your voice to attain your goals, even though they are different than the next guy or even different than you five years ago, whatever it might have been. And that's another real beautiful thing about understanding the power of your voice, because it, it with it, if you if you're if you have the courage to actually utilize it, then it can grow with you right? It can help you do the pivots. 
Um, and yeah, what courage that took for you to make such a dramatic shift and, um, and now redesign your life basically from the ground up all the way all over again. I love that. Thank you so much. It has been a complete redesign and it wasn't easy. I remember facing the decision to take the full-time job and resign as CEO from my company. It didn't happen sequentially. I resigned as CEO from my company because I could not go on another day. I was the absolute barest minimum version of myself, barely making it through each day. Putting in a new CEO was the best decision. I then, when I resigned, took the full-time role with my client, my full-time job now. And I wasn't able to sell my company for five more months after that. So I owned a company I didn't run and I was not in any emotional state to even engage in business conversations. I was so triggered and defeated and struggling to lead powerfully. It was a very difficult time, but I do remember facing the initial decision to accept the full-time job and resign. I was traveling and I was by myself in a hotel room laying in bed, just crying out to God and asking for that direction because this was my baby. I was so proud of what I built and I knew it inside and out. There was such a comfort to being a revenue scaler. It's what I've done my whole career. And I loved the keynote speaking. I loved being the knowledge expert. And like you said, built an empire. My name was synonymous with revenue scale. And it was a big decision and a major shift in identity. But man, I am loving this new unlocked version of myself and grateful that that was a chapter in my life. Well, you're glowing. I mean, I would never have thought you know, you've had that bit of a breakdown. And we all get to that place where you're kind of at maximum capacity, right? And so what do you do? And most high achievers do that, right? You just kind of hit the ground running and you keep running. And then all of a sudden you're like out of breath. What the heck? Right. And so that is another thing that is a mainstay um, with me and my speakers. Number one, we start off determining the empire you want to build, right? So that you don't wind up in a tiki hut on the beach when you really wanted a cabin in the mountains, right? That you, you really define where you want to go. But then above that, every new level, you become a new human being, right? You've collected a lot of data. You've had a lot of experiences. Your view completely changes because you're at a new vantage point. And so the key is to micro calibrate every new milestone. And a lot of high achievers, they don't want to take the time for that, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're achieving. Why well, you want to go back to the basics every milestone? That just doesn't even seem like a good use of time. It's a perfect use of time. And it's a vital use of time because otherwise you look at any pro athlete, pretty much any pro athlete, uh, famous actor, actress, you know, did, huge CEO that's in the news all the time, whatever it might be, a lot of times their lives implode at some point or they become self-destructive. And I think it has a lot to do with they started out excited. They started out on a good path and they forgot to recheck in with themselves as they went along. And so if, if anybody, first of all, kudos that Forbes published you, like that's pretty huge in itself. But I I would recommend anybody to read that book, especially if you're a high achiever and you are headed towards a greater level of success because those basics, learn, learn from Mary's 
journey, right? So that you'll remember to check in with yourself every step of every, each time you reach that new target, Mm -hmm. recheck in with yourself and make sure that there aren't some micro calibrations that have to happen. It's so beautifully said. And thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Having Forbes reach out, I'll never forget that initial outreach. I thought it was spam and I couldn't believe receiving that email. And I thought, okay, I'll take the call, but I thought it was spam. I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. In the initial screening call, I thought, is this real? (laughs) What is happening right now? Forbes is calling me. And I was so moved by the initial conversation with chief publishing officer. She's just such a gem. And every subsequent conversation and interaction with them has been unbelievable. They did a fantastic job with the book launch. It became a number one bestseller. And that is so meaningful to me. I, it's my life story. Of course, it's meaningful to me. But the fact that they took it on and did what they did with it, it's something that I get to add to my resume now. And I know that it helps me as a speaker. There are a lot of speakers who are looking for the as seen in, the media uh, appearances. They're looking for those accolades and titles. And I'm extremely fortunate that they did make that email outreach to me because I think this helps tremendously from a credibility standpoint. For sure. And you know what? I love that you're re-proving the process, right? You already proved the process once, utilizing utilizing your voice and the power of speaking to build an empire. Now you're starting from square one again, and you're re-proving the process in a different direction. And I, I really hope that our audience, let's, let's, uh, let's have you guys tune in into this part, uh, especially, right? As a speaker, you will have your own model. I want to follow you, your whole journey, Mary, because I know that you're going to be very successful. Again, there's just, you've, you've got the recipe, but you're going to do it in a different way. And I want to see you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that you brought to the table that you don't have to have a 24,000, 50,000, half million dollar product to make speaking profitable. It can be a $500 Mm -hmm. uh, product or service. It can be, you know, 1500, 5,000, whatever it might be. It's all about the duplicity of it all, right? The multiplicity of it all. First of all, you're on a stage, you get known, you get liked, you get trusted, the buzz starts, your brand is solid, you're talking next to your heroes. So Mm -hmm. you've got that immediate like association with your own heroes, there's just so such a level of value Mm -hmm. in the power of your voice. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about you, meaning you were natural. You got on stage, you had no problem getting on stages. And somebody like me, who loves getting other people on stages, but I don't necessarily love it myself, for me, it's a necessary because I, I prefer that over marketing. And I know that it's way more powerful. For you, you happen to enjoy it. What do you what do you say to someone who, okay, there's the natural speakers, and then there's the ones who they'll do it if they have to? <laughs> yes. I think there's a formula that's really important for anybody who naturally wants to get up there and yip yap. 
and the person who's hesitant, but they acknowledge that it could really unlock some impact in their personal brand or in their business or be able to monetize it. It doesn't matter what end of the spectrum because the audience is looking for an outcome. And the greatest formula that I've been able to figure out is one, understanding the audience and the avatar. What problems are they experiencing? And then what is your uniqueness and how do you solve those problems? I think it's important to be able to answer that question before you start constructing your keynote. There's actually a curse to people like me who are naturals and love to talk. I did not have a lot of structure in my keynotes for a long time. In fact, I would refuse to build a slide deck because I struggled following along with speakers who would simply wait to the progression of the next slide, read what was on the slide. And I thought, why is there even a speaker in front of the room? If you're going to read the slides to me, I can read your own slides. I was PowerPoint adverse and I'm structure adverse. I'm a risk taker entrepreneur. And you said it, I'm pretty darn fearless. I'm all over the place. I don't like structure. I don't like processes. Plus, I was getting booked in a variety of industries and types of stages, and they were asking for custom keynotes. And I thought, I can build a keynote in 20 minutes. Who's the audience? What's the problem? I'll figure out how we solve it, and I'll make sure it's actionable. I would actually find myself custom creating so many keynotes, and it didn't bother me. And I had my own style on stage. I tend to talk a little bit fast. That was always the feedback I would get in my scorecard and ratings was great content, great energy, but spoke a little bit too fast, need to slow it down. But I would also hear consistent feedback that it was too much for a short amount of time, too many concepts shared, too much knowledge jump dump. It needed to be simplified for people to digest it. I am one of the people that can wing it. I mean, yes, I've been in the performing arts since I was three on the stage since I was three, but I also started my sales career at age 22 and was natural at that. I'm a natural talker. I love to talk. The fact that I even get paid to speak is like, I feel like something's broken at the system. I'm like, how is this even possible that I can monetize my voice? I love talking that much. However, there are some downsides to that. I have the curse of knowledge. I can be overpassionate, which can be a turnoff if I don't have enough uh, switch and inflection points in my keynote speaking. And so there's this end of the spectrum. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, maybe someone who's hesitant, unprepared, not sure how to take the stage, potentially monotone. They don't have the right level of engagement. They're reading their slides. So we have both ends here. So what's the perfect formula? Step one, as I said, I know your audience. And ensure that you're on the stage in front of your avatar, your somebody, and understand intimately the problems they're experiencing and your uniqueness and how you solve them. From there, you need to start that keynote, in my preference, with a story so that you can immediately lower any barriers that are in the audience, find an emotional connection. If you can emotionally connect on something, now, hopefully you're on a stage with your avatar in the audience and you're not speaking to some random conference where there's a mismatch. I have had that happen and I have felt a disconnect from the audience. It is what it is. But hopefully the stages that you're on, you're there with intention and there is a purpose to the speech. With that, that emotional connection is critical at the onset because you need to win them over very quickly. I also believe that having shifts in pace, emotion versus humor, pauses versus speeding up and working to a peak in a moment is critical. That's the performer side of me that knows how to keep people engaged. A true talent that anybody can figure out how to do is to read the audience. 
if the person who's a little bit nervous about speaking, not quite the professional, can do one thing is to read the audience. You'll be able to notice if you're losing engagement. You'll be able to notice if people are really hooked into one thing that you're saying, but then maybe they change the stature, the response on a different topic. You know, you could potentially pull back or do more of the one thing you were doing versus the other. But being able to engage with the audience and read them is really critical because at the end of the day, they're your customer for that moment in time. And ensuring that you're seeing the reciprocation in the audience is tremendous. Now, that's very helpful when it's alive and in person. Sometimes we do opportunities virtually. I do, if I get booked for a virtual engagement, I do confirm that people will be on camera. It's very difficult for me to do a live speaking engagement where people are off camera. I've done several webinars where attendees come in with a list of names on the right-hand side, but there's no camera and there's no audio. It's listen-only mode. I find those to be the most difficult speaking engagements that I do. But ultimately, I do think that if the person, whether you're like me and love to talk or the person who's very timid and inexperienced when it comes to being on stage, know the problem you solve, how you solve it, and find the connection with the audience to carry through and figure out the nuance inside of the keynote. The last thing I'll say on this topic is becoming a disciplined speaker has helped me tremendously in my scores for speaking. Now that I am not trying to add in a layer of complexity in an effort to speak a little bit past their knowledge level so that they would hire me because I don't have that offer anymore. My new keynotes, I have simplified and slowed down tremendously. I've switched into the motivational speaker category and it's important important to me to engage them because my ask and my offer is to buy my book. <laughs> it's to buy some swag, <laughs> you know, <laughs> join my newsletter. It's, it's not what it used to be. And there's an entirely different approach, but I do believe that the person who isn't proficient in this, you can write it out, rehearse it, practice, film yourself, watch the video back, be open to coaching and letting people rate and score you and give you the kind feedback on what could be done differently. And ultimately, if this is your catalyst to unlock revenue or profitability or then, then go all in. You bring up really great points. There are natural born performers, and then there's ones who have to work at it a little bit more, but either spectrum, you still have to learn that discipline, right? You still have to understand the cadence of it all, right? You don't want to bring people down too far for too long with maybe a, an emotional story, whatever it might be. It is bringing them up and down and basically on a journey with you from the beginning. And I really am so, I'm really grateful that you brought that up because I think that a lot of times we'll just brush it off, right? It's such a powerful tool. Your, your voice, you only have it. You are the only one that have it, has it. If you hold it back, Nobody else can step in to your voice, right? So if you hold it back, it's something that it's a loss for not only the world, but also for you. There's so much that you're leaving on the table and, it, and it's sad, um, but you just basically painted a perfect picture of how you cannot, you cannot say, ah, I'm a natural born, born performer, so I'm going to be a great speaker. And you can't say, ah, I don't love being in front of crowds, so I can't be a speaker. It's a decision and you learn how to do it right. And so in that way, 
it's learnable, right? That's it's tactics. <laughs> it is learnable. You said it so beautifully. One thing that you that I really want to touch on, there was so much, so much gems that you just gave us in there. Um, I really, I, I want to go back and listen to this a second time. And I really hope our listeners have pen and paper out because you're, you're sharing things that probably took you some years <laughs> to figure out, right? Um, and you're an obvious success at it. So here's the opportunity, guys. Come on, uh, take some notes. Um, but when you said that within the first bit, right, when you get in front of an audience, first of all, you you get a feel for them. You do your homework ahead of time, know who you're going to be speaking to, with, right? Make, make sure that you're in front of the right fit audience. I, I'm a proponent of don't just take any speaking engagement because with every speaking engagement, you are branding yourself. Make sure it's you're in, you're in front of the right audiences for what it for that ultimate outcome that you offer. But the one thing that you said about um, creating an emotional connection through a story, I have never said it that way. I always say connection and community is the very first job. When you get on a stage, you must establish that before going on. But you really simplified the whole thing in a really powerful way that start with a story that Mm -hmm. brings them in and then then you get to figure out the cadence for the rest. Do you plan that now? Do you plan, you know, about 15 minutes in, I'm going to shift or are you still just kind of feeling it as you go along? I think there will always be an element of feeling it as I go along. However, my keynotes are incredibly scripted at this point. You talked about the humility of starting from the ground up. I have restarted from the ground up. And I am not going to sit here with the ego to say, I was so successful in these other things. This should be a cakewalk for me. This is the next chapter of my life. It's very important to me. And I'm conscious of the fact that I'm stepping in to a category with some of the biggest, most impressive names. Like I'm playing in the big leagues now going into the motivational speaker category. I know we could all think of five people rapidly in this category, probably have millions of followers and they've moved us. They've changed our lives. The one thing Mel Robbins in her five second role or Brene Brown. I mean, there are some unbelievable names, Tim Tebow, for goodness sakes, in this category that I'm in. They have moved us. They have changed the fabric of our being through what they have said. I'm in that arena now. I'm not on some stage with a few hundred people talking about building a revenue engine. These are the big leagues. And whereas I probably could have just dumped myself in it, been super scrappy like I have been in everything I've ever built as an entrepreneur, make some mistakes, go speak for free, go figure it out. I decided that I I turned 40 and I'm older and I have less energy (laughs) than what I used to have. And I know that there are experts like you out there. And I made the decision to go learn and to go study and to go figure out the frameworks and the equations to how the pros do it. I don't need to sit here and reinvent the wheel or let my ego get in the way to think that I'm something greater than I am. The fact is I have a vision, I know where I want to be, 
and I'm willing to do the work to get there. But there are others who have gone before me who can guide me and help me and teach me. And one of those things is to have a pristine and perfect tested keynote message. So I have gone through the work to build it from the ground up and put it through rigorous testing. Also, I've added in a theatrical element into the keynote. It's a physical demonstration that I have of climbing two ladders simultaneously. There's humor embedded. There's a significant amount of emotion embedded in this keynote. And the message is meant to be very convicting into the hearts of the audience. And I'm working similar to you with a coach who's just helping me. And it's invaluable. I can't imagine a speaker trying to build this on their own when I've now witnessed how easy it is to just glean from the experts and the pros. So I have been humbled. I feel like I'm a student all over again. And it has been hard for me on some days in some lessons because I think I know a lot of things. And so here I am coming into certain conversations like, I know my brand. I know the problem I solve. I know this, but I'm being challenged to consider thoughtful questions and frameworks and really, really think through how I'm going to construct this so that I have the right message on the right stage in front of the right audience that creates that lasting impact. And it has changed everything for me. So right now, just so everyone knows where I am in this stage of the game, I have written the keynotes. They are being rehearsed. I mean, I literally have ladders in my house and I'm climbing them, <laughs> rehearsing the physical portion. Morty. <laughs> I have a studio rented on uh, just two weeks from now. And I have a media producer from LA flying into town to film a production of me doing this keynote on an actual stage. It's beautiful. It's LED backlit. It has, it's just a studio you can rent. There's, they're all over the US world, I'm sure. And I'm renting this. I'll be on the stage. I'm doing my keynote. I'm having it professionally filmed. And then we're going to take the content, infuse it into the demo reel. I've never done this keynote live. So we're making it look though like I have because we will take the footage, which is going to be narrowed in with the stage. My PowerPoint presentation is beautiful, gorgeous LED backlit. You know, it's amazing, right? So the people watching this video aren't going to know the difference, but I am putting together a pristine package through my website, my speaker bio, my media kit, and this demo video so that by the time I am ready to get those introductions and meet the event planners at these big live conferences that I know I will be on the stage of. This will be a picture-perfect ready package that the event planner is not going to have to do a lot of digging or researching. They're going to look at the package and say, absolutely, we are booking her at this event. So a lot of work, but it's meaningful and I believe that it speeds up the process. So I'm a huge fan of what you're doing for the people who work with you because all speakers could use a little bit of guidance, even the ones where it comes natural. Well, you know what? Champion level wisdom and courage. You just laid out so many gems there. I keep saying that, but it's true. And a big part of the theme that I've been hearing all the way through this mm -hmm. interview is you have not sat back and waited, waited for it to happen, right? You didn't throw out a few emails, make a few calls, and then sit back 
and wait for that phone to ring or those emails to come back. You're you're investing in yourself. And I love your humility. There is never a time where we have arrived. If uh, why not die? <laughs> if you've arrived, you're done. Why not? There's always a next level that you can get to and you're exactly right. New level, new counsel, right? Let's let's link together and get that community, get that that mentorship that we need because there's always somebody a few steps ahead of us that we can learn from and be motivated from and emulate. So, so much wisdom. And what I love is that you, I'm sure this isn't cheap. I I haven't asked you the price and I won't, but to go to the lengths that you are to create the stage, to hire the production team and go through your entire painstakingly created new keynote, Mm -hmm. that is the mark of a champion. Like you are next level. I'm so glad you're here with this audience. Um, What do you do? Okay. You've got this, these amazing clips. You've got this amazing talk. Your, your energy is amazing. You've got all the pieces of the puzzle. How do you actually land the gigs? Yes. Well, I'm currently interviewing speaker agents who specifically work in my category. So I've mentioned motivational speaking, but I have a subcategory, which is where I want to spend the majority of my time on stage, which is a faith-based category. And that is a very carved out niche. And I'm learning that not all speaker agents are proficient and able to book speakers in the faith-based categories. I am very serious about meeting people through cold networking, finding people on LinkedIn, Googling and finding the conferences. I've already created a dream list of 10 conferences that I'm planning to be on the stage for. They just don't know it yet, but that's on my vision board. And I am going to the website. I'm looking for contacts. I'm looking for people who run the event, organize the event. And then I'm going to LinkedIn I'm finding the people who work for that conference or company, the event planning company. I'm finding the people. I'm connecting with them on LinkedIn. And I'm not sending any messages yet because I'm waiting until my website speaker kit and the video are finished, which they should be finished in about four to five weeks. But right now, what I'm doing is just sending the connect request or I'm following them so that they can start to see my name, potentially some of my content. I post a lot on LinkedIn because I'm a corporate America executive and that's where my big platform is. But I post a lot of my faith-based content on the platform. And so I want them to start to see, hey, I am fearless in this and I practice what I preach. I think that that's important in this category as they're looking for speakers. Additionally, I have a couple of resources that I've networked my way into that pool subscription list, meaning you can subscribe to a list and these people are mining conferences and pulling together in a spreadsheet the data, the date and time of the conference, the call for speakers, the application process, what they're looking for, if it's paid or unpaid or whatnot. And they're pulling together this repository list and people can scan through it and figure out the ones they want to apply to and submit themselves. There are so many resources out there for speakers, but more importantly is I can go to the conference website and look at the conference last year and I can look at who spoke. And I can connect with those speakers and say, how did you get this gig? I would like to be on this stage. 
here's a little bit about me. Could you make an introduction for me to the event coordinator or whomever makes a decision on placing speakers? Speakers help each other. We're friends. This is not an easy business to be in. And I do believe there are thousands of speakers out there willing to extend a hand and help and open a door. But you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to put their name on the line for somebody that doesn't have a great package, great marketing, great credentials. And that's why building the brand and the package initially before doing these outreaches, in my personal opinion, I think is very important. I want it to be a no brainer. I want them to look at me and say, why wouldn't I make this introduction for you? You look incredible. Let's get you on this stage. Then in turn, I ask them, how can I serve you? I can share with them the stages I've spoken on, the conferences I've been a part of. Do any of these interest you? If not, fine, but how can I serve you? What stages do you want to be on? And this is what I'm applying for and I can name drop, et cetera. But I think we weren't meant to do life alone. And I think being a speaker is a very rewarding career, especially when we can monetize it, not only just create the impact through our voice, but actually make a living doing it. And there are others just like us who are committed and passionate. And I believe if our intentions are pure, we can truly serve each other and start creating that community to help each other get the engagements. Wow. You have such an abundance mentality. And that that is very powerful. I remember I owned uh, Bed and Breakfast for years. And um, there was this Bed and Breakfast Association in my area. And um, I was a very long-running innkeeper, very long-running bed and breakfast owner throughout my other parts of my careers, right? I just, that was kind of a thing that was going on in the background. And uh, it was interesting because I saw innkeepers come and go, and it was the ones who had that scarcity mentality. No, I'm not going to share my recipes with you. No, I'm not going to share how I attract new guests. No, those ones did not last. The ones who were just open armed, there's enough for all of us. Here's my trade secrets. And you just land, you just shared half of mine and a ton of, you know, that was, that was gold. Again, I, I've already taken five pages of notes. I can't imagine um, somebody who isn't in this space, how much, how much treasure they're getting out of this. But um, that's where it's at. The more you cannot outgive nobody is going to deliver you, Mary, the way that you deliver you. You can give all your secrets away. It's not going to take away from you because you're not giving, they can't replace you, who you are. And you just gave so generously some deep, very effective strategies, right? Those are insider insights right there. And uh, one question and then I want to um, start wrapping up. There's a couple last, last, last things I'd like to do together. Do you simply DM? Do you pick up a phone and call? Do you email? Like, how do you get past that? I don't know you. What do you want? <laughs> uh, the answer is yes. And to all three, I have grown up in the sales profession and I know how to, <laughs> I know how to do outreach. Also the humility out of the gate. For me, as I've been networking and making some early connections, I've simply been just admitting that I need help. And I think that as humans, people want to serve. I think it's 
being humble and not over marketing and uh, bringing in the ego and all the credibility and accomplishments. I think that that can get cued into the conversation later in. But the, my approach so far, which I've had several doors open, I'm very proud to announce that I have been booked at a two-day faith-based conference in Wisconsin. And Tim Tebow is on the bill. And I am Woo! on the bill. And this is was a vision of mine. And I spoke it. And I said I will be on the stage with Tim Tebow. And maybe not on with him, but on the same stage that he is at, at the same conference. I spoke it. I said it's going to happen. And I have just officially secured my speaking spot with my new keynote ladders and all the ladders are getting shipped (laughs) they're going but how it started out was me humbly asking what are your recommendations for me what is your advice I'm breaking into this category and I'm willing I would say to all I'm willing to be the no-name speaker nobody has heard of that will be on the stage I will honor and cherish the time that you give me and I will perform for you because my understanding is that the audience is your customer too. And it's my responsibility to ensure that they find value in the conference ticket that they've paid for and that they want to come back next year. And that's my responsibility and my burden. And I promise you that I will accomplish that. What are the next steps? How does someone like me get considered for this conference? What do I need to do? I've been asking that question. So there's another, um, the Purpose Summit. I'm very excited to be a speaker at, not this year, but in the following year. And I asked the event organizer, his name's Davin, very humbly. I was introduced to Davin through networking. And I simply said to him, the conference you've put together is remarkable. And I want to be a part of it, but I don't want to overstep or make any assumptions that I was introduced to you from a trusted uh, partner of yours. I simply just want to ask, what is the process for someone like me to be considered to be on this stage? And he's like, well, tell me about yourself. Who's someone like you? And we opened up a candid conversation and I very openly shared about my past and this conviction to switch categories and the book and everything. And he said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to this upcoming conference, which is just a couple of months from now as my guest. Your ticket will be comped. I also want you to ship 100 copies of your book to the conference. We're going to have you featured as an author. You can sit at a table. You can sign the books. It's a two and a half day conference. We're going to make sure you're highlighted and spotlight. And if you have a second book coming out, we'll make sure that if you've got a sign or QR code for pre-orders or whatnot, because I am working on a second book. But The whole point is, he said, build a relationship with this community because nobody knows you here. We have a lot of repeat people. Build a relationship with these people, with this community. And if you come and you attend and you deliver on this, we will put you on the lineup for the following year. And I said, you know, I'm willing. I will cover my travel and and my airfare, my hotel, the shipping of the books. Like, I'll do all of it. Is somebody is giving me an opportunity to build a name in this category. So those are the things. Now, am I going to do that all year long? No, I'm not paying $1,000 for airfare at a hotel and going to all these conferences. I set a limit. I said I was going to do three of these where I'm paying for travel and expense and not getting paid to speak you know, or attend for the relationship building component of it making my mark, making an impression and securing the opportunity to be booked for future events paid. But I would open myself up locally or anything within driving distance or virtual to consider doing unpaid 
just to build that platform, to build the name, the credibility. So I set limits in my business plan. This is what I'm willing to do. And then this is where I'm going to make the decision to start declining opportunities or pushing back. Now, in lieu of a speaker fee, I can say things like, I would like guaranteed purchase of 50 of my books and you can pre-purchase them here. Where do you want me to ship them? Or opportunity to sell from the stage. I've got a $50 offer from the stage, which is, yes, my book. And then um, some of my swag from the Do Remarkable Work stores, like a tote or a hat. And they get a $50 package. They could pick it up in the back of the room where I can ship it to them. And so if there's an opportunity to sell from the stage, just that simple little offer, then I'm considering waiving the speaking fee. So there are little concessions, but I've planned it all out. I feel like that's the step number one of negotiation is write it out before you have the conversation. Know your walk away points. Know what those concessions are that you're willing to agree to. But unfortunately, I don't remember the question. I hope I answered it. <laughs> you sure did in spades and from the mouth of the revenue maven, right? Brilliant. Brilliant that you set limits too. For those who are absolute, I'm not going to do any free um, speaking. They're shooting themselves in the foot. That's okay. Leaves more opportunities for the others, right? Yeah. But um, of course, you don't speak all year for free. But strategically, you picked out, handpicked some very key opportunities that have value beyond the host check, right? And ah, so brilliant. So brilliant. Okay. Uh, we're going to, I want to have you back on because there's just so much more we can dive into. I would love for you, I have one last question for you, but what I'd like to do right now is I know by this time, the pens are ready. They want to know, first of all, how do they get a hold of your book, this audience? And how can they reach out to you and follow you and just be part of your world? Well, thank you so much. I, I think that's very kind. Uh, my last name is Grothy, G-R-O-T-H-E. You can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn under Mary Grothy. Twitter or X as it is now is Mary L. Grothy. Apparently, uh, Mary Grothy was taken. I don't know who she is, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so Mary L. Grothy on Twitter slash X. My website is marygrothy.com that has links to my nationally syndicated Fearless Faith radio show. It airs on Saturday mornings, as well as there's a link to the podcast that goes alongside with that. There's a link to purchase my book. Um, thankfully, through the Forbes Books Distribution Network, the book's available in 39,000 retailers, which is a massive, massive blessing. So if you simply just Google destination, remarkable, surviving the dark side of success. You can place that order with probably your favorite bookseller, but it's very easy to find it on Amazon. You can go into Amazon and just put in Mary Grothy. It pops up. The one thing that I would ask, one of the greatest things that you can do uh, to bless me in this stage of life is to leave an Amazon review. I am working with my publisher. We have milestone goals of how many reviews to receive within certain time thresholds. And in a review, whether you love it or hate it, a review is tremendous. You don't have to write a bunch of words. You can just hit the stars on there. And if it's a verified purchase, it goes even further. So I graciously ask for those reviews. It means a lot to me. It really helps propel me. In exchange, if you have a book that's out there and published, I'd be more than happy to go and leave that positive review for you as well because I know it helps propel all of us in the community. But Yes, you can find more info about me, marygrothy.com. Those are all my handles, and I would absolutely love to connect with all of you. Excellent. We will, we will put all of that in the show notes just to make it easy for those who um, didn't have a pen to write <laughs> quick enough. 
but give, right? Do that. Leave her an honest review and um, you'll get the same, right? It, it all comes back around. So, so give generously in that way. All right. You actually led right into perfectly right into my final question. Um, and then we will close with that. So essentially, um, you have put yourself out there to help others, right? To impact others. I would like for you to give a challenge to our audience right here today on um, create a pact for them on their journey within their world of impacting others. What is something that you would love to see if you just feel like if everybody would do this one thing, the world would be so much greater? What what would that be, Mary? Oh, gosh. Easy. Be kind to each other. You mentioned earlier, you called out something. You said, wow, you really have an abundance mindset on the opportunity. For so many years, I competed, 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 competed. And I have documented all of that in the book. In my 20s, I was so competitive and I was fighting for survival. I had a pretty traumatic upbringing. And when I was in my 20s and achieving success for the first time in my life, it became an addiction and it was healing some of the wounds inside of me. And I wasn't a classy lady. We'll just say that while I was doing it. And I wasn't very kind. And it was more important for me to win I had commission breath as a salesperson. I would steamroll. I worked the hardest and I did everything in a relentless pursuit of winning the sale, the deal, so I could get the commission. I was humbled greatly at the end of my 20s. That story is on my website. It's in my book. And my life was, I was given an opportunity to, to be born again and to get a second chance at life. And one of the principles that I embraced during that time was to learn to love people. Mm -hmm. I had a very traumatic upbringing and I didn't experience love as a child. I had trust issues and I had love issues. But this time around, I was shown a new definition of love and it was my intention to bring that into the workplace, which is a little taboo, especially as a sales professional and entrepreneur. I embodied and I embraced in all facets and aspects of everything that I do is I choose to love people first, even when I'm wronged, even when I'm hurt, it has never failed me to be kind. And in this business, it can be a little competitive and cutthroat. There's a lot of comparison, which can be the thief of our joy. And it's just a reminder, there's enough out there for everyone. And if we're kind to each other, I do believe that that manifests seeds and harvests that are worth the time and energy to be kind to each other. Mm. Let's take the challenge. Let's take the challenge. Let's be kind. A smile, right? Uh, use of your voice in the simplest, the simplest thing that you can say to somebody can change the course of their entire week, maybe the course of their entire year. Let's be more outward focused than we are inward focused, right? Ah, oh, I love that challenge. So thank you for that, Mary. And thank you for all of the gold that you sprinkled all over us today. Will you come back sometime? I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So that's it for today. Ciao, ciao for now. Thank you for listening to the Speak Pact podcast. To become a recommended speaker of Antoniet's WPC Speaker Agency, or you are a host or planner looking for a dynamic expert in optimized performance, Antoniet would like to personally meet with you. 
Secure a time with her at speakerbooker.com. Again, that is speakerbooker.com. It all begins with a vision, a voice, and a pact to impact. Join the Speak Pact movement by joining our new private Facebook group at the link in our show notes. Find us on nearly every social media platform at One Antoniet. That's number one, A-N-T-O-N-I-E-T-T-E, or simply hashtag SpeakPact.